0: Well, good morning. I'm so happy to be with you this morning with a Bible in my hand. If you have a Bible in your hand, would you hold it up and just say the precious name of Jesus, would you? Jesus. All right. Let's say it one more time. Just one name, Jesus. Jesus. All right. Some of us are all awake today and some of us are not. Maybe it's my hearing. I don't know. I'm not sure. <laughs> one of the two. Please take the Bible and turn to Luke chapter 5, if you would, verse 1. Today we are in our rogue series. You know what happens when A perfect man meets an imperfect religion. They see him as rogue. They believe he's a leader that has gone rogue, is going the wrong way. And Jesus walked into uh, that context and began to change everything about the acceptable way of worshiping God in that day and time. He began to turn things upside down. Later on, the believers who followed Jesus were called those who turned the world upside down. So it shouldn't surprise us that Jesus is turning religion upside down. We looked at the last few weeks of what he's taught us in his first teaching in the book of Luke. He talks about the true kingdom. He says it's not ethnocentric. It's not about one race. It's about all of us. He says it's not political. It's not a list of rules, but really it's about a heart, a heart for God and a heart for others. And now he takes it further. Miracles have been performed. Jesus is taught with authority and power people are stepping back and saying, who is this man? How is it that he teaches with such great power and great authority? How is it the demons obey him when he speaks to them? How is it that he is so powerful and overwhelming? And so they began to rush at him in a good way, rushing at him to hear his teaching, to understand what he has for them next. And that's where we pick up Luke chapter five, beginning in verse one. Why don't we stand together as we read a few verses out of Luke five. Verses one through 11. Title of the message today is Three Guys in a Boat with God. Three guys in a boat with God. Now it happened that while the crowd was pressing around him and listening to the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret and he saw two boats lying on the edge of the lake, but the fishermen had gotten out of them and were washing the nets. And he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's. This is one of our first introductions to Simon Peter and asked him to put out a little waste from the land. And he sat down and began teaching the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered and said, Master, we worked hard all day and caught nothing, but I will do as you say and let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a great quantity of fish and their nets, began to break. Now, this is the dream situation. Every, every fisherman in the room would be saying, if I just get closer with Jesus, my nets will break too. And that's probably a good idea if he's telling you exactly where the fish that is. The Bible says that the nets began to break. And in verse 7, so they signaled to their partners in the other boat for them to come and help them. And they came and filled both of the boats so that they began to sink. That when Simon Peter saw that He fell down at Jesus' feet, saying, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For amazement had seized him and all of his companions because of the catch of the fish which had taken. So also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said, Simon, do not fear from now on. You will be catching men when they brought their boats to land. And this last phrase is very, very powerful, very significant. If you understand what's behind it, they left everything. They left everything and followed him. Father, today, I pray that we will be brought to the place where we can leave everything, literally, to follow you. And here are some men, some guys that did that and they changed the world with the power of the gospel. Father, help us see our part in that. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated if you would. If you've ever been to Israel, you know that Capernaum is a city where uh, Jesus spoke in the synagogue, and then there's Peter's mother-in-law's house, which is just across the way from that synagogue. And if you keep walking past the mother-in-law's house, looking down uh, into a, a, not a cliff, but kind of a decline into the Sea of Galilee, uh, that section of the Sea of Galilee is called the Lake of Gennesaret, and it's a part of the Sea of Galilee. And so Jesus comes out of those miracle moments and moves down towards the water and the people are coming around him because they want to see more. They want to see more power. They want to see more teaching. They want to understand more about this man who claims to be the Messiah and who's backing it up with these amazing miracles. And so Jesus gets to the bottom of that, that, that place, that land, and there's nothing left but water. Two boats are sitting there. One of them belongs to Simon And we presume also James and John on the other. And Jesus just gets into the boat and says, put out just a little ways. And he turns around and begins to teach the people. This is the first teaching opportunity of extended period that Jesus has where he's teaching people. So that's the scenario. That's the contact. A very important moment where people are really becoming aware of who Jesus is. And I want you to notice who Jesus comes to first. He comes to ordinary people. The title of this message is, By Design, Three Guys in a Boat with God. Not three religious leaders, not three prophets, not three priests or rabbis, but three guys. These are guys. Peter, James, and John, ordinary, real guys. In the Jewish system of raising kids... When a mom and dad began to raise young boys, they raised them, hopefully, with a heart for the law, for the Torah, and they would train them in the understanding of the languages so that they could read the law with authority. They, they, they had a dream, and the dream would be that their children would be, would be raised up to be rabbis, raised up to be priests or teachers of the law. That was just how uh, Jewish culture went. Now, the kids that showed great promise were moved to the next level of training and got better education. And those that couldn't quite make it didn't seem like they knew the language well enough or didn't seem to have a a hunger or passion for that. They sent them back to their dads for the dads to teach them a trade. And then this would go to the next system and next level. And and those that excelled in that next level in the way of of the law and religion would move to a still higher level and those that didn't cut it back to their dads to learn a trade. So we've got three men here, three guys here that are not religious leaders, not great in the languages, not not great uh, promise in terms of being religious leaders. These are ordinary people who have been sent back to dad to go fishing. And these are probably not the sharpest guys, the sharpest knives in the drawers. They're just not. We're not slamming them. We're not making fun of them. We're just saying they're average, ordinary guys. And if you get to know Simon and Peter, you realize he's every better guy. He's tough. He's honoring. He's stubborn. He talks before he thinks. He's always getting in trouble. He's like every other guy I know. That's what we do. Three guys. And Jesus comes to them first and says, I want you. I want you to know today, if you're not a religious leader, if you're not gifted in languages, if you don't have the law memorized, if you haven't got a culture and background of religion, you're just the kind of person God wants. Average, ordinary people that he does extraordinary things through. Aren't you glad about that? Aren't you glad? I'm glad. Because the guys and girls in this room are very much like Peter, James, and John. We're ordinary people that Christ, wants to encounter, that he wants you to encounter him as the living God. So with that setting, we see Jesus begin to do some things, and the action points that come out of this text are for us. Three words today that I want to give you. First of all is the word, listen. Listen listen. The first thing we see that's happening is in those first three verses where the teaching ministry of Jesus began to take place. He actually got into the boat for that purpose. And the Bible says in verse 3, as he went out a little ways from the land, he sat down and began teaching the people from the boat. Now, we don't know exactly what Jesus was teaching because Luke doesn't include that. And so, the emphasis here is not exactly what he was teaching, but that he was teaching them, and that he was teaching them the Word. And the Bible says in verse 1, they were listening to the Word. Listen to the Word. You know, when you become a disciple of Jesus Christ, this is really the first step. It's probably true that Jesus, when he begins teaching here, is teaching the first part of the Sermon on the Mount. And we see that in the next chapter as it begins to unfold in its entirety. And it's a, it's a system of, of teaching that Jesus gives them that helps them know that what God has wanted all along is the heart. And the heart reflects whether it is in tune with God or not in tune with God. But included in the Sermon on, on the Mount and the Beatitudes is an ethical teaching and a moral teaching. In essence, the Messiah is coming to say. I'm going to teach you. I'm going to come from God to teach you. I am God in the flesh who has come to teach you how to live. And I have to tell you today, we need instruction on how to live. Amen? If you look around you, you can see that the general populace in the world does not know how to live. Sometimes we find ourselves wandering and wondering about how we're to live. But can I just say it today? In in this modern world, we especially don't know how to live. We don't seem to know what's right and what's wrong. We need God to tell us exactly what the original design was all about because we've moved far, far away from the original design. I was reading a very interesting article last week that really is kind of a stunning in many ways. It is an article that was based on a 60-minute interview that took place recently. And the story surrounds a son who is 14 years of age who has transgendered to a girl. He self-identified as a female and wanted to transgender to a girl. And so the mom and the dad gave him permission to do that. And all the processes started for this boy to become a girl. And in the picture and in the interview, here's a boy, very long hair with female features, and he is transgendering to a girl. He's moving to a girl in every way he can. The story unfolds even further for the mom because the mom decides that because of the courage and the bravery of of this little boy, who's 14 years of age and transgendering to a girl, that she has always self-identified as a man. And so, she has gone as far as she can surgically and every other way to be a man. So now the mom is a man, and the son is a daughter in their minds. And almost most surprising of them all, is the dad of this family who in the interview said, I've accepted exactly where my family is and we're just one normal, happy family. And I conclude by that, we don't know how to live. I conclude by that, we don't know God's original design. That we've moved so far away that that is normalcy for many in the world today. Jesus has come to teach. Jesus has come to live it out. Jesus has come to show us how to live. It's always been a problem. Have you read the Old Testament lately? If you read the Old Testament, you'll see the unbelievable distance people move from God's design in sin. Sin is a problem. And when God came through Jesus Christ, when Jesus became God in the flesh, he began to teach men from the beginning how to live. I want you to know today One of the greatest things you can do as a believer is listening to the Word because everything is built on truth and not feelings and not desires and not what we want and not what we see someone else doing, but everything real is built on truth. Everything else is just an illusion. Do you believe that today? If we believe that today, then the Word becomes a very, very important part of our life. We open it. We read it. We read through it. We read all of it. We don't read all of it in one setting. We don't have unrealistic expectations about how much of the Word we can actually take in at one time. But here's the reality. The book called the Bible has to become God's book for us and how we live. Jesus came teaching the Word. They were listening to Him teach, and He was directing them in how to live. This is nothing short of God making an appearance for those 33 years to show mankind, here's how we live. Listen, this apart. part of being a disciple of Jesus Christ. I want to pause for just a moment and just say, what is your relationship like with the Word? Do you listen to it? Do you read it? Do you pore over its pages? Do you mark up your Bible? Do you highlight things? Do you underline things? Does your Bible wear out in a few years or does it still look like it just came out of some bookstore? You see, listening to the Word It's going to direct your life. It's going to guide your life. We talked about parents here this morning and in our time earlier today, we talked about the importance of opening up the scripture for our children, that we engage them with the truth of scripture. We can't make them obey, but we can help them understand what does God say about life? What does God say is right? What does God say is wrong? How do we define truth? How do we repel everything else? How do we do that? And you need that in your everyday life. You need that as a businessman to know how to morally before God and ethically before God do the right thing. You need to know from God how to live a life of integrity. We can find from the Scripture how to wisely manage money, how to build a strong relationship in marriage or with your family or with anybody else. The Word of God is designed for us to listen to as though we are listening to God because it is God's Word. Listen. The second word is the word obey. Now, this is really where this story (laughs) Gets interesting. I love these three guys in this boat realizing that God is in the boat with them. In verses four through seven, we need to read it again. When Jesus had finished speech, speaking, teaching, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Simon answered and said, Master, we've worked hard all night and caught nothing, but I will do as you say and let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a great quantity of fish. The nets began to break. They signaled to their partners in the other boat, come help us. And when they filled both of the boats so that they began to sink, what a moment. Now, these boats are pretty good-sized boats. For the most part, they're as long as our stage is wide from about this point to about this point. They're pretty broad. They're about four to five feet wide, and they could hold a full complement of disciples, if you will, or a whole, whole lot of fish. And so they're out there fishing in a place they've been fishing all night after Jesus tells them to go back out into the deep and they catch this boatload of fish and it begins to sink, not one, but two boats. And there's a series of small commands leading from small to greater here. He says, first of all, in verse three, put out a little way. And then in verse four, put out into the deep. And we're about to see a demonstration here. And I want you to watch this demonstration. So what you're gonna see is If you have the proper answer to this question I'm about to pose to you, that the proper answer to this question is given, the quality of your life is going to increase exponentially. And not only will the quality of your life increase exponentially, but you will be in alignment, in alignment with Almighty God. And here's the question you've got to ask yourself that was being asked of these disciples. Are you ready for the question? Here it is. Who's in control? Who's in control? These disciples had been in control of their fishing destiny that night and nothing good was happening. And so a series of events take place which helps them to understand it's far better for Jesus to be in control than for them to be in control. And here's how you arrive at that conclusion, three principles. Notice, first of all, he asks small things before he asks big things. Now just make a note of that. Just write that down. God will ask small things of me before he asks Big things. Now, that's a recurring principle in Scripture. Jesus himself says, he that's faithful in a little thing will be faithful also in much, and he that's unfaithful in a little thing will be unfaithful also in much. It's so important for us to understand. This is how God works. He asks for something small first, and if you resist the small, you never get to the big. Now, that's a bad deal for you. If you resist the small, if you insist on controlling the small things in your life that God is tapping you on the shoulder about, you're gonna miss the big things that God wants to do in your life. So he starts small, but he moves to bigger. Something small like getting in somebody else's boat and saying, I'm in charge of this boat right now. Now Peter, it was his boat. He's a fisherman, that's what he does every day. He knows how this boat works. This is his lake. This is the Sea of Galilee. He knows where the fish are. He knows the right time to fish. And yet, Jesus steps into that boat and takes over. It's kind of like someone getting in your car and taking over. Don't you love it when someone gets in the car next to you and you're driving somewhere and they say, why are you going that way? Why don't you turn right right here? We'll get there faster. Don't you love that? Sometimes my wife likes to tell me where to drive and how to get there. And I look at her and smile and say, I'm driving. (laughs) Well, if you take this turn right here, we can get there faster because, no, I'm driving. Now there are times when we move into a parking lot and get ready to park, and she says, there's a parking spot right there. I I know how to find a parking spot. Look, they took away all the exciting things from men years ago. I mean, we can't, we can't shoot wild beasts anymore to get our food. We can't, we can't take on a whole horde of invaders anymore by ourselves. Let us have something. We can find our own parking spot. <laughs> and my wife and I have actually had that conversation, and now she said, there's the park. Oh, you want to find your own parking space, don't you? <laughs> Thank you. Jesus steps in and says, I want you to do something different. I want you to listen to me. So they do. You know, when Jesus starts talking about the small things in your life, it's not a time for you to turn away. The truth is, we've got to realize that we should not put up a fight because it's Jesus. It's Jesus. And far beyond our cars our destination or our life. Instead of putting up a fight, let's recognize who's in the boat. These three guys eventually recognized they were in a boat with God, and that helped them a lot. But recognize this is not a stranger. Recognize this is the God of the universe. Recognize this is your creator. Recognize this is the one who knows the number of hair on your head. Recognize this is the one who knows the future. He knows what's going to happen to you tomorrow. So when, when he gives us an indicator that he wants us to do this instead of that. It's because it's for our good. It's because it's for his glory. He asks small things before he asks big things. Secondly, he's looking for you to believe him and trust him. Now, if you catch the argument that's going on in verse 5, it's a very interesting argument. <coughs> but Luke actually makes Peter look pretty good here. Because in verse 5, Jesus says, now go into the deep. And to Peter, that meant go again into the deep because they'd already been. And so Simon answered and said, Master, we worked hard all night and caught nothing, but I will do as you say and let down the net. Now think about fishing all night in the deep, all night long and catching nothing, zilch. And for them to come back, it was an admission that this is not a good day to fish and these expert fishermen have already rendered the verdict and said, we're not going to catch anything. It's not going to happen. Let's go back to shore. And Jesus gets in the boat and says, let's go back out. Go into the deep. And Peter, I mean, Peter's looking pretty good at this moment. It doesn't always look good, folks. Remember, Peter is the one that says the wrong thing at the wrong time, most of the time, but he's saying a pretty good thing here. Master, if you tell us to go back to the deep... We're going back to the deep. You know, there are times in our lives where we have to be like Peter here. And we have to say, you know what? If you tell me to do something, you're asking me to trust you. And if I believe that you're the God of the universe, that's what I need to do. I need to step out and to trust you. I need to believe you. I need to do everything that you tell me to do, even though it defies common sense and it defies my experience. A little word about fishermen that I learned in studying for this passage is that, that you don't go out into the deep at night. You fish on the shallow, uh, or rather in the day, you fish in the shallow. But, but Jesus said, you go back out into the deep, which was defying their common understanding. But, but it all changes when Peter says, Master. Now, let me just tell you about this word master. It's a word that means Lord. It's the word that acknowledges that Jesus is Lord and Savior and Master and God and creator of the universe. But when he uses that word master, there literally is no way for him to also say no. When you say master, there is no no. When you say Lord, there is no no. There is no refusal. The only thing that you can say when you acknowledge him as Lord is yes, Lord. Is that right? I want you to say that phrase with me. Yes, Lord. Say it again. Practice that. Yes, Lord. Now, when Jesus comes and begins to move in your life and he begins to lead you in a certain way, the answer should be Yes, yes, Lord. Because if you say no, Lord, those two terms are incompatible. They're mutually exclusive. You don't say no to your Lord. And so Peter, to his credit, says, Master, that your word will go. I love this part. And I also love the next part. Because it teaches us when we obey, we're seemingly pushed to the limit. (coughs) Have you ever obeyed God in something that you thought was gonna be real smooth sailing? And after you started obeying God, all of a sudden it seemed like a whirlwind came and blew you off course in some way. Raise your hand if that's ever happened to you. That's most of us in this room. But God, I thought you told me to go there. Now, fish was the objective at that moment for these fishermen. They wanted fish. They were willing to go out because Jesus said to go out, and they wanted fish, but they had no idea it was going to be this much fish. And so as those fish began to overload the two boats, the Bible says that they, beget, they believed that they were beginning to sink, and they were Fearful. I don't have a lot of experience in boating, but, but my wife and I, a few weeks ago, went out to a lake in East Texas and we had borrowed a, a pedal boat. A pedal boat or a paddle boat where you sit side by side and you pedal like a bicycle. By the way, that's ridiculous in principle, it's crazy. Get one with a motor next time. <laughs> so we're pedaling this boat out on, on the, the lake and we realize it's got a slow leak to it, so. We're thinking, all right, we can't go very far, but it's not going too bad. So we kind of float around to this other dock where a family that we know is, and they happen to be sitting on the dock. And so we invite them onto the boat. Bad idea, because when the man got in the seat next to me and the wife got in the seat next to Kim in the back, there were four of us on the boat that was already leaking and already sinking a little bit, and that was not a recipe for success. So we go out just a little bit, and before long, those in the back said, it's tilting, and we're about to get wet. So we turn around and we do the turbo thing on the pedaling, you know, which just simply means that you work harder than you ever thought you were going to work in a pedal boat. And you're asking, why did I ever start this trip in the first place? And the women are saying, we're going to drown. We're about to go under. This is not what we bargained for. But we all managed to get back to the dock. We're all okay. We all lived through it, obviously. But this is what's happening with Peter and James and John in the boat out in the water. God has so opened up those fishes' minds that they needed to jump into that net and then jump into the boat that they're overboard doing obedience to the Lord of the universe, and all of a sudden, they've got this amazing catch of fish. Now, it really pays if you're a fisherman to know God because he tells the fish when to get caught. That's how God works. He tells the fish when to get caught. You got to try it sometime. But when we obey, we're seemingly pushed to the limit until you realize that you're not just three guys in a boat. You're not just three random men in a boat catching a random boat full of fish. You're three men in a boat with God. That's when you know everything's just fine. And when the wind is blowing against you in your life and when the load is overwhelming, you just remember you're not just an individual in the boat. You're not just an average person obeying somebody that, 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 is, that, is, that is not God. You're obeying God and God's in your boat. And when we obey God, that boat is not going to sink and we're going to be just fine. But God sometimes allows us to experience that difficult moment of being pushed to the limit. There's a third word that we need to look at today, and that's the word follow. What's the impact of all this? The impact of all this is the difference between playing a game and really encountering God and his power. Because in verses 8, 9, and 10, the Bible says, Simon Peter saw all that we talked about. He fell down at Jesus' feet saying, go away from me, Lord, for I'm a sinful man, O Lord amazement had seized him and all of his companions because of the catch of the fish which they'd taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee. And Jesus said to him, do not fear, from now on you'll be catching men. And then the ultimate asked the big question. When they brought their boats to land, they left everything to follow him. Let me ask you today, do you know the difference between playing the game and really encountering God? Because when Peter encountered the reality of the power of God in this little fishing expedition, two things happened to him. First of all, he's convicted. I am a sinful man, O Lord. By the way, he says Lord and Master three times in this very brief encounter. Master, we'll do what you say. Lord, I'm a sinful man. Oh, Lord. I mean, Peter is tripping over himself to acknowledge your master, your Lord, you're the king of the universe. I'm going to do whatever you say that I should do, but I am a sinful man. And he fell at his feet in conviction. That's when you know you're really in the presence of a living God. That's how you know that you're really encountering God and you understand and recognize that this is God because you are convicted that you're not worthy to be walking with the almighty God who is unbelievably holy, and separate, a just judge, and yet he allows us to hear him and know him and walk with him. He's convicted. As I read through the Bible, i find all kinds of examples of that. In Job chapter 42, after this long, long discussion that Job is having after having lost everything early on, he says this about his encounter with God. He said, I feared, I've heard you from, by the hearing of the ear. Let me read it again. I, I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore, I retract and I repent in dust and ashes. He's convicted. He's convicted. You find it again in Luke chapter 7, verse 6, where the centurion is encountered by Jesus, and, and Jesus is going to heal the servant. The Bible says Jesus started on his way with them, and when it was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends saying to him, Lord, don't trouble yourself further. You don't even have to come, just say the word. But here's what he said, I'm not worthy for you to come into my roof. Let me ask you today, when people encountered Jesus in the New Testament, they fell on their faces with conviction. They they understood they were not worthy to be in his presence. Has that happened to you? Have you met God in such a way where God has demonstrated to you that He is worthy of worship, that He is to be held in awe, that that He is the God of the universe, the creator of all. He's Lord and master of all. And have you come to the place of saying, Lord, I'm not worthy for this. I gladly come into your presence, but I, I fearfully come because I can't come on my own. I must come with your help. That's what was happening with Peter. When you see the majesty of God and you see the glory of God, and it doesn't grip your heart with awe, then you're not experiencing the conviction you should have in knowing Him. It wasn't too long ago we were in Alaska traveling, and we were moving from Anchorage to a mountain called Alieska. I think the Alieska Mountains' altitude or elevation is about 3,900 feet, something like that, about 4,000 feet, not extraordinarily high. And on the way there, we were talking about Mount Denali or Mount McKinley as it's more commonly known, which was over 150 miles away. We kind of instantly asked, I wonder if we can see that mountain from that far. And as we were driving to Alyoski, we looked over to our left and and we saw a huge mountain range and the massive mountains that we could see from, we didn't know at that moment how far away. I've later learned that you can see when the sky is clear, you can see the Mount Denali from 150 miles away. Just looking at that mountain range in the distance evoked a sense of awe at the power of God's creation. But what happens when you meet the Creator Himself? What kind of awe should that bring to your life? Peter is convicted and then he's convinced. You see that verse 11, how that ends? They left everything and followed Him. He's so convinced that he turns from one way of life to a new life altogether. And I want you to get this because this is important. It's the last key that we pick up from this today. It's never about fish. It's always about people. What Jesus was doing that day was not just filling some boats with fish. He was helping his disciples understand that they were about to touch lives in a powerful, significant way. And he was going to use them as ordinary people to do extraordinary things. It's about engaging people. It's about conversing with people. It's about leading them to know the God that we've met and been convicted by. But it all begins with your heart. A heart for him brings a heart for them. It's not about fish. It's about people. Let me just tell you today, from that moment on those disciples began fishing for men. They began to be as concerned about others as the Messiah was concerned about them. And ordinary men, used by God in extraordinary ways. Here's how I wanna end this message today with two questions. Number one, have you been convicted? Have you been convicted that, that you have encountered this holy, amazing God? And have you been at the place where you've said, Lord, I don't deserve to be in your presence. I need your your son, Jesus, Messiah, to forgive me, to cleanse me, to give me this life that I can have with you. And apart from Jesus, I can't have this. Have you ever done that? Because if you've seen God from a distance, seen God, how God works, or read about God in the scripture, or heard somebody else's story, but you've never experienced conviction today, you can experience conviction for the first time in your life. It changes your heart, your perspective, and everything about you. The second question is, are you convinced? Are you convinced that life is not just about your job or your house or fish or anything else? Are you convinced that life is really about people and about God working in your life and God using you to touch and change the lives of other people because he wants you to be convinced enough to say, I'll leave everything to follow you. It doesn't mean that God doesn't use fishermen or God doesn't use attorneys or God doesn't use nurses or doctors. It simply means that that greater calling in our life has to elevate above fish, and that calling is getting the gospel to people, touching people with the gospel and the love of Christ. If we don't do it, who's going to do that? And the world continues on not knowing how to live, when the people who have met God have learned to live because of His word. It's not about fish. It's about people. I want you to bow your head for just a moment. I want you to close your eyes. And in just a moment, we're going to have our closing prayer and our time of invitation. And a couple of things I want you to think about as we dismiss today, one of those. I want you to think about that conviction, that sense of conviction. Have you ever come to Christ? Have you ever come to God and said, I, I need, I need to have my sins removed. I need to be given a gift of eternal life. I need to be forgiven so that I can be right with you. Because if that's never happened, today can be the In just a moment, we'll stand. There will be many who stand across the front as prayer partners. They, they're here to pray for you. They're here to answer questions you may have. And I'm gonna ask those prayer partners to make your way to the front right now. Just come on to the front. Turn around and face the congregation right now so that they can see who you are and see where you are in just a moment. I'll have a stand and I'll pray a dismissal prayer and I encourage you to come and spend a moment in prayer with them because they want you to be convicted and to respond rightly to that conviction like Peter did. It may be today that you need to answer the question, am I convinced enough to change things, to leave things, to follow him. I'm so glad Peter and James and John left everything to follow Christ. And I don't know what God is asking you to leave, but I know he's asking you to follow him. And if you're willing to do that, you're ready to do that, we're here to help you with that. You come and talk to someone today. Tell them God is speaking to me about this, and I, I really want it not to be about fish in my life. I really want it to be about people. How, how can God use me in that? What's God saying to me? We want to talk to you about that. Today when you leave, if you want to be one of those trained to share the gospel, we have someone behind our guest central just waiting to help you tonight. We start can we talk a semester where we help people know how to share the gospel with people who have never heard before? That's part of what Jesus asks of all of us, and I would love to help you know how to do that. I would ask that you stand with me right now. Are you convicted? Are you convinced? Today, move. Move on that conviction. Move on that being convinced and follow him. Father, today in Jesus' name, I would ask that you move in our hearts this morning. Father, we look at those three ordinary guys in the boat. And Lord, I am convinced that you want us to identify with them, all of us to identify with the fact that they were not extraordinary. They were normal people. And yet, Jesus came to them first. Jesus picked them first. He trained them first. And Father, I would ask you today to help us see that you are tapping us on the shoulder to follow you, to, to listen to you, obey you, and to follow you. And Father, let us do that as a church. Let us do that as individuals, as family. Lord, we thank you that you care enough about us and love us enough that we will be doing that when we obey. Help us keep that in mind as we leave today. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.